as those baskets are making their way around. Let me again welcome you to Forks Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, you don't know me. I'm Paul Gilbert. I am the lead pastor, and the Gilbert holiday season has gotten off to a roaring start, <clears throat> literally. So I was getting ready on Thursday morning um, to work on this sermon. Pastor Lance, our Midtown Campus pastor, and I were at, were at Whole Foods um, to take advantage of the free Wi-Fi, the coffee, the croissants, and, and we're, we're getting ready to meet, and then I get a call from, from Susan who lets me know that, that things were on fire at home. And I thought she was, it's kind of a metaphor for our crazy life in this season, right? She meant there was a real fire at home, all right? And so, so I, I rush home. Pete Butler had, had beaten me there. I drove up to find this, okay? So these are, these are out in front of, front of our house. Um, Susan had been cleaning the, um, and, and she's mainly the culprit in this whole thing, just to let you know, okay? No, not really. She, she was doing the self-cleaning feature. There was leftover grease from Thanksgiving, and a, this, this wasn't a little bit of smoke. This was like a full-born fire, all right? And so the, the, the fireman who did the fire investigation later says, the reason our glass cracked on our oven is because the temperature was over 1,000 degrees, and Susan was sitting there trying to open the oven, and the fireman said, that's a good thing. That didn't happen because oxygen would have ignited it. It could have been a bad scene. Anyway, Pete was there. The firemen bring in the hose. Pete's like, no, 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 no hose. We don't, we don't want to inflict any more damage than we have to. They brought in their portable tank. All right, they put out the fire. By God's grace, it was confined to the oven, okay? But the smoke was not confined to the oven. It, was, it, was, it spread like a disease across our home, all right? And so, so we are now refugees for the Christmas season, all right? We're, we're hanging out at the Hampton Inn. The insurance agency is totally taking care of us. Everybody's fine. And, and as we're thinking about being displaced, it's actually kind of cool, all right? Nobody knows where we are, okay? I'm not going to tell you our room, okay? Um, we have breakfast prepared every morning. I mean, it's the waffle. The waffles, let me tell you, are awesome at, at the Hampton. Um, there's free Wi-Fi. It's like, it's a staycation. And we're just like, we should have had a fire sooner. Okay, this is awesome. If the insurance people are listening right now, no, 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 no. No fraud, no fraud involved here. But no, we're going to be out for a couple of weeks. Seriously, the insurance company's been, been great. Um, there's fire, repair stuff going on, cleaning, painting, anyway. But by God's grace, we're, we're, we're good. But we were driving around Dorothy B. Oven Park the next night, okay? And we come across this scene here. All right, now you can't, I'm going to read this to you, but you see the green wreath in the back and you see the one little red dot, okay? You see the light on the far right? Here's what the sign says. I kid you not, this is 24 hours later. The Tallahassee Fire Department has placed this wreath as a reminder of the need for fire safety in homes, especially during the holiday season. The lights on the wreath are representative of homes located in Leon County in the city of Tallahassee. Ready? Each time a home is involved in a fire during the holiday season, a green light will be replaced with a red light. Let's work together to make this a joyful and safe holiday season. Four Oaks, we are the red light. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I just say all that to say, okay, I'm here in a, seriously, in a high state of excitedness, seriously, like I've been drinking Red Bulls in the, back, in the backyard, 
really uber hyped for the Christmas season. Tonight's going to be an awesome time. Christmas Eve um, is coming up. But let me tell you, I'm also really jazzed for the next three Sunday mornings here together. Um, if you're new, we've, you need to know we preach through books of the Bible, and we've been going through 2 Corinthians um, this semester. We're going to continue that after Christmas, but we hit pause here during the Advent season, and we're going to spend three weeks on a Christmas series that we're calling Wonder, okay? Seeing the supernatural in Christmas. And you may say, well, well wh- why did we choose this topic? Where did, where, did, where did that come from? You know, every year, and you, some of you have probably already stumbled upon this, the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, TMZ, whoever, they, they, they all line up to deconstruct the Christian and Christmas narratives, don't they? Myths, fables, Matthew, Luke, these guys are just jokes. They're just, re- this isn't history. This isn't the real thing. These are just these guys reinterpreting the human experience in light of their own struggles. These things are not meant to be taken literally for oaks. Are you just so uncouth as to believe this? And, and, and we respond, and in some ways rightly so, sort of in moral outrage sometimes, don't we? How, how dare these secular humanists, these progressives, try to rip the divine and the supernatural out of Christmas? Yet, Brooks, I think we are often guilty of the same thing. Not by denigrating the stories, but really just taking them for granted. Because let's be honest, the, the, the stories and the circumstances surrounding the birth of Christ, they are, if you are, <laughs> you don't even have to have gone to church your whole life, they are very familiar, right? Very commonplace. And what does that mean? They can become very ordinary. You know, Jesus, the manger, the angels, the stars, the the shepherds, they're just decorations on the Christmas float, right? Last night at the winter festival or whatever it is they call it now, right? We've seen and been exposed so many times, a lot of times we're just like, meh, I got it. This season, let me just, just state this right up top as your pastor, what I really desire for us. I want us to to get in tune in a fresh way with the earth-shattering, worldview-shaking tumult that these truths ushered into our lives and into world history. See, because when we take the supernatural for granted, we miss the very uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. If there is nothing supernatural... If there is nothing miraculous, if there is nothing divine about Jesus Christ, then there is nothing to distinguish him from any other great leader, any other great figure. There's there's no special claim that he can make on your life and in my life. He's just another teacher. He's another inspiring figure. What, What would distinguish him from all other great religious leaders across world history? That's why I'm asking God, I want you to ask God with me, to give us fresh eyes to see the supernatural this season. I want us to recapture, as the hymn says, the wonder of his love. And not only for the birth of Christ, for Oaks, but for your birth, for your spiritual birth. So with no further ado, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. 
We're going to be talking about the virgin birth this morning. Thomas Jefferson, no friend to orthodoxy, had this to say about the virgin birth. And we'll flash it up here. He says, And the day will come, he says, when the mystical generation of Jesus, by the supreme being as his father, in the womb of a virgin, will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Now, if you've been out of grade school or middle school for a while, you may need to brush up on your Greek mythology, right? Okay, who is Jupiter? Who is Minerva? Minerva is the virgin daughter of Jupiter, who, not to get too grotesque, swallows her whole okay, because he's afraid she'll become too powerful. And the myth goes that, that Jupiter is, is sliced open and Minerva emerges from his body. Okay, Sorry to get all icky this morning, but, that, but that's, what, that's what Jefferson is, is re- referencing here, which we all say, well, of course, this is ridiculous and, and grotesque. But w- what is Jefferson saying, though? Jefferson the elite, Jefferson the sophisticated, he says, this virgin birth stuff, it's embarrassing. It is uncouth. It is unsophisticated. It is primitive. Christian, Four Oaks, how, how could anyone take you or our faith seriously by the fact that we wrap our minds and hearts and sing about this virgin birth stuff? This is just an embarrassment. You know, Virgin, the virgin birth to Christianity is what insecure teenagers are to their parents. Do you know what I mean? Okay, right, right, okay. They, you know, do you know what I'm talking about, parents? Insecure teenagers, they want you around when they what? Need money, okay? But otherwise, just drop me off, mom and dad, thank you very much, and stay far away, okay? You are cramping my style. And let's be honest, that can be for some of us, how we view the virgin birth. Guys, that's not how Matthew saw it. It's not how Matthew saw it. He starts off his gospel in Matthew 1 with a genealogy because he wants to show that Jesus came from the line of Abraham and the line of David, that he's the rightful king and Messiah. However, and this is so important, Matthew wants to make it clear, it couldn't, it couldn't be just any ancestor from Abraham or David. This had to be the ancestor. This had to be unique. This had to be never replicated before, never to be replicated again. And before we dive into our main text, look at Matthew 1, 15 through 16. And he's given the genealogy. And listen to how he describes the descent of Jesus. And he said, Iliad, the father of Eleazar, was the father of Methan. And Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. I want you to follow that for a second. Matthew says, Joseph was the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, make no doubt, but guess what? Joseph is not the father of Jesus. How did this come to be? Why is it important? Why is it at the heart of the gospel? Why is it at the heart of your faith and our faith and my faith? What significance is there to this? It it becomes so rote. You know, 
way in a manger in silent night, what are we really singing? What are we really saying? Four Oaks, have your eyes open to the wonder of this. Let's look what Matthew says. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Matthew says, now, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're asking you to do through your word this morning what only you can do, and that is to give us fresh eyes. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room could capture, maybe recapture, or capture for the first time the glory and the magnificence of Jesus Christ, and that he would reign supreme in our hearts and our minds, and you would filter away the fog of of Christmas sentimentality and to let us see the awe and the supernatural and the wonder of these truths that you have given to us, Lord. Write them upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we're going to do this morning, Four Oaks. Very simple. We're going to walk through these verses, and we're going to look at the what and the why and the how of the virgin birth. Very, very simple, okay? The what and the why and the how. Okay, look at verse 18, the what. Matthew says the birth of Jesus happened in this way. And here Matthew is not speaking about the logistics of Jesus' birth or all the circumstances or, you know, he doesn't include any of the narrative that Luke does in his stories, and, and they're each writing for different audiences and different purposes. That's not what, what Matthew means here. What, he, what, what he's saying is this, is, this is how Jesus came into being. This is how Jesus was conceived. And, and this should signal for us, contra Thomas Jefferson, that this is a crucial doctrine of Scripture. This is not secondary for Oaks. It is not incidental. Otherwise, why would Matthew take the time to talk about it? You know, there is so much in the life of Jesus we don't know that's not recorded for us. I mean, John makes it clear, does he not? He says, if we were to write everything that Jesus did and said, we would, we would fill up volumes. So Matthew has to be selective in what he is compiling. And we know that Matthew's gospel was the most read gospel in, for the first 200 years of the early church. And so this must be very important. It's not secondary. We're going to find out why. Verse 19, it says that Mary was betrothed 
to Joseph. Okay, now, now, betrothal in ancient Jewish culture meant to be legally bound in marriage. You know, for us as a culture, engagement has, has, has gone from a time to plan the wedding to just an indefinite holding pattern oftentimes, hasn't it not? <laughs> okay. We've been engaged eight years, all right? And so something's up, okay, with that, right? So, so it's, it's, it's really a time, you know, I always counsel young couples, long courtship, short engagement, itty-bitty engagement, right? Okay, why are you messing around? Why are you waiting around? But in our culture, it's, it's evolved into short, short courtships and long engagements because then we find out if we're really meant for each other, okay? That, that's, that is not the biblical concept of engagement in the Jewish culture, okay? This was a legally binding covenant, okay? And, and as such, it was a big deal. It was a serious thing, which makes what happened next all the more serious, okay? If, we're not going to look there, but in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is, he narrates this virgin birth and conception from the perspective of Mary. And he indicates that Mary received her own visit from the angel, and the angel told her the same thing he told Joseph, Mary, you're going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says Mary did. It says, Mary went in haste to visit her sister Elizabeth. I mean, like she headed for the hills. And it says that she stayed there three months. So let's think about this for a second. This is all prior to what Matthew was talking about here. And so Mary comes back three months later, and what's changed? You know, you know what, women, do you know what every man's horror is in this room? Okay, can I ask, okay, to ask a woman when she's expecting and to find out she's not pregnant, okay? That never happened to me, but I know it's happened to some of you men, and hang your head in shame, okay? I've heard, I've heard about this. Guys, that's not what happened to Joseph. This is a young girl, 15, 16, 17, 18, and Joseph is like, you've been gone three months, and hello, what has been going on? This is kind of strange. We haven't even kissed, and now you're about to have a baby. And it says, look, he, she was found to be with child. Joseph was clueless. He had no idea what was going on. He had discovered this. Now, let me ask you this. What would you do? What would you think? Okay, let's, 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 let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes for a second. And look in verse 20. It says that Joseph considered these things. It meant it weighed on him. He was crushed. He loved Mary. He was heartbroken. And then it says that he resolved to divorce her. And we may say, that, that is so harsh of Joseph. Does he not love Mary unconditionally? Actually, guys, this was maybe the most loving thing that Joseph could do for her. Because in Jewish Old Testament culture, infidelity was a serious thing. And sexual infidelity between people who were engaged or betrothed, that could carry the same penalty as adultery. That was what Old Testament civil law said. And not only could it mean her death, it would mean the shame and embarrassment 
of her family. Her family could very well be ostracized because of her indiscretions. You know, in our culture, we celebrate this. This is a whole different culture, is it not? But listen to what it says about Joseph. It says that he was unwilling to expose her or shame her. What does that mean? He was merciful. It says he wanted to quietly divorce her. That means he wanted to be discreet. And look at the way Matthew describes Joseph. And this is from the word of God himself. It says, and her husband, what? Being a just man. For Oaks, Joseph was righteous. Joseph was just. Joseph is seeking a, a merciful solution to Mary's apparent infidelity. And, and let me just give a quick sidebar okay, this morning. Okay? And let me say this about divorce. And isn't it always nice to open up a Christmas can of worms? Okay, right here. Okay, let's just do it. But it's here. We've got to preach it, right? Most people in this room have had lives impacted by divorce, whether personally or a child or a parent or a sibling. Almost every person in this room has been impacted in some way. And in the Christian community, we are trained and we teach that divorce is bad. And, and, and theologically and biblically, that's true. God says, I hate divorce. Divorce is devastating. Those of you who have walked through it know the pain. But oftentimes, a certain stigma attaches itself to divorce, where we begin to view this as an unpardonable sin. And, 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 and that goes against the gospel of grace. And, and we need to understand something. Guys, divorce can be biblical. Okay? Divorce can be biblical when it's for the protection of the aggrieved spouse, when there has been sexual infidelity, um, when, when one spouse refuses to live in marital matrimony with the other, when there has been abusive behavior that makes covenantal obedience impossible. Guys, sometimes you can be doing more harm than good by enabling covenantal unfaithfulness, then you can be to do what Joseph aspired to do. He was just. He was righteous. Guys, sometimes divorce, while maybe inevitable, maybe hurtful, maybe harmful, is God's provision for people who have been seriously wronged, for children who are in Endangered. And, and if that sort of raises kind of questions for you about that, we would love to talk to you as pastors and elders. But you need to know for this text, okay, because I know everybody's situation is different, it lands on people differently. But that is not the way Joseph is described. He, he set out to divorce Mary, and it says he was just and he was right. But the angel said, No need, Joseph. Mary's been faithful, and she is a virgin. So, so that's the what, okay? That's the what. That's, that's, that's the circumstances that surround this. Now we want to look at the why. Why is the virgin birth so crucial to your faith and to my faith? Why is it so important to our confession together as a 
church. Because guys, we can certainly understand a secular culture casting aspersions and doubts on the virgin birth. But let me just tell you, that should not be our concern Concern here. You, you should not be overly concerned when the History Channel and the Discovery Channel trot out their annual diatribes against the Christian stories. Okay, that, that should not be our concern. What should be our concern is when this happens by professing Christians, when this happens within the church. And here's why I say this. Guys, the culture... Our culture and world will always attack truth. Always. Okay? That's what the world, the secular mind does. And Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, church in Corinth, don't worry about people outside the church. Don't, don't judge them. And by that he means don't, don't expect anything differently. You, you need to attend to your own affairs. You need to pay attention to what's happening within the church. And, and, and why is that? Guys, the most harmful kinds of attack on Christian truth don't come by frontal assault. It always comes by sedition and treachery and sneakiness and smuggling in new ideas from people who aspire to be truth-tellers but in actuality, they're just spiritual wolves. That's why Paul said in Acts 20 okay, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the elders in Ephesus, don't, don't be... He didn't give them all warnings about the, the culture in Ephesus. He said, guys, there's going to be people, men within your midst, who are going to come in and disrupt the church. They're going to fe- teach false doctrine. They're going to import wrong ideas. And so, Christian, that's where we should concern ourselves. And one of those wolves, and I think it's very proper and it's right to call these things as we see them, is a man named Rob Bell. And you may be familiar with Rob Bell. He used to be the pastor of Mars Hill Church, not Bible Church where, where Mark Driscoll was, but Mars Hill Church in Michigan. He wrote a number of books that you may be familiar with, The Velvet Elvis, I didn't make the titles up. Okay, I'm just telling you. The Velvet Elvis. Okay, Love Wins. He's been on a worldwide tour with Oprah Winfrey pontificating about spirituality. And and here's what Rob Bell says about the virgin birth. Okay? Of course, he makes it clear. I affirm the historic Christian faith, which includes the virgin birth and the Trinity and the inspiration of the Bible and much more. We're real comforted by that. Okay, but here's what he says. But, but, be careful, Four Oaks. Anybody who says, but... Did God really say? He says, what if someone tomorrow digs up definitive proof that Jesus has a real earthly biological father named Larry? I don't think it would be Larry. Okay, okay, okay. And art, but see, he's just poking fun. And archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing. The gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular at the time of Jesus, whose gods had virgin birth. What if, what, so what if that happened? He says, but if the whole faith falls apart when we re-examine and rethink one spring, then it wasn't that strong in the first place, was it? Okay, I want you to see what's happened there. Rob Bell's an attractive man, okay? I have no man crush, but he's an attractive man, okay? I didn't make that clear, okay? Um, 
Rob Bell's a brilliant man. He is a writer, a speaker, an author, highly influential. And so what has he done there? He has simply said, well, you know, I, I affirm these things, but, 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 even, but if it's not true, come on. It's not a big deal. He said, if, the, if, the, if Christianity, if your faith collapses because we take out the spring of the virgin birth, then it wasn't a very big faith at all. That's what he's saying. He could not be more wrong. Okay? And there's, there's two reasons why this is absolutely fundamental, fundamentally crucial that we affirm the virgin birth as Christians. Okay? Verse 23. Matthew makes it clear, number one, that the virgin birth is something that's prophesied in the word of God itself from Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. We've heard it many times, right? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you discard that, if you say that's a bit of mythologizing, okay, here's, here's the issue. If you can't trust the word of God on this point, Four Oaks, then where can you trust it? Because you were calling into question not just Matthew, and not just Joseph, but Isaiah and the whole Old Testament, the Word of God. And, and, and let me say this. There is a great temptation we have living in the secular culture that we live in to tamper with the Word of God. And our intentions can be noble. You know, Pastor Paul, I just want so much for my friends and neighbors to know Christ. I, I just wish God's word did not say this about divorce or say this about sexuality or say this about men and women or say this about the wrath of God or life in the womb. If we can just push those things aside, they can just have the gospel. But you know what happens, folks, when we do that? We just don't lose those doctrines. We lose the gospel itself, and here's why. There's nothing to undergird it. Pretty soon, we will find the gospel in itself offensive as well. When it starts talking about a Savior, when it starts talking about the exclusivity of Christ, you see, progressive liberal theology always, always leads to apostasy. So it's crucial. That's one, one reason. Reason number one, exhibit number one, why this is important. Second reason, look at verse 21. Interesting that, that the virgin birth is connected to what Matthew says here, that Jesus will come to save his people from their sins. Which means, means two things. Okay? One, Jesus actually had to be a man. Okay? God did just not posit him on earth as some super spiritual angelic being. Okay? So, so imagine this. Okay? If, if you're a fan of a football team, okay, you pick one, and, and your quarterback has been an utter failure in the second half of the season. I mean, just, just some quarterback. I mean, 140 miles to the southeast or whatever. Okay. And you know, and, and, and Melissa Smith, that was for your mother-in-law who's here from Gainesville this morning. That was just for her, okay? And you know you need a new quarterback. And you know a new, you, need, you need a new leader going in the next season. Where are you going to turn? 
Are you going to turn to the high school American, okay, who's, who's got a pedigree and experience and the results, or are you going to pick the nerd who, who has never played a down of football in his life, okay, but dominates on Madden 16? Okay, wh- which one are you going for, right? You don't need a virtual football player, right? You need a real one. We needed a real man. Jesus, one of us. Born under the curse of Adam, but sinless. Perfectly obedient. Fulfilled all the righteous demands of the law. He had to be a man. But that's not all he had to be. He had to be God. Because it's, it's and this is why the virgin birth is so crucial. If he's only a man, think about this. If, if, if Rob Bell says his dad is named Larry, okay, what sort of claim can that person make to forgive your sins and to forgive my sins? If he's only a man, what does that mean? That means he's a sinner. And a man with a dad named Larry, sorry, Larry Michelle, Larry's a good name, okay, can't pardon the sins of the universe. Only God can do that. Jesus had to be both. And that's why he had to be born from man, a woman, okay, but from God. Which brings us to our last point, and then we're done. How? How did this happen? It says here in the text that Jesus, the angel tells Joseph that, in, and I believe this is in verse 20, or 21, 20, that what is in her is conceived from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let's just say this. We don't know physiologically how this works exactly, right? We don't know if, if God created an embryo and put it in Mary. We don't know if God took Mary's DNA and brought the other chromosome supernaturally together. We don't, we don't know that, okay? It's, it's, it's a mystery in that sense. But here's what we do know, and this is fascinating, and this is from Luke 1, 34-35. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Luke's using some interesting Old Testament imagery. Remember in Genesis 1, when it says the earth was void and formless? And what does it say? The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And then the Spirit of God began to create from nothing. None of us can create from nothing. We have to have something to create with. God doesn't need a something. He creates out of emptiness and nothing. And this, and, and this is where I want to call us all to think about something very profound for a second. To see that this is supernatural, and this is miraculous, and this is divine, something out of nothing, a, 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 an embryo, a holy embryo, a mother made by her own child, that'll bake your noodle, if you think about it for a minute, okay? Do you realize this is a picture of your salvation, Four Oaks? Let me ask you a question. Was it a greater miracle that Jesus was born from a virgin, or that you were born again. 
because they are one and the same miracle. Because just like Israel, we were cut off. Just like the people of Israel, we were lost hopelessly in our sin. And we needed the divine, sovereign, supernatural grace of God to come in and turn the light on. What did we just study in 2 Corinthians 4? The same God who says, let light shine out of darkness has what? Shown into your hearts to give you a knowledge of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say, well, how does this happen? Luke one thirty seven. for nothing will be impossible with God. It was true for the virgin birth. It's true for your salvation. It's true for the salvation of your children and your lost friends that you're going to bring tonight to the Four Oaks Christmas party, which means we pray. But it also means something else, and we're going to close with this. How are we to view today, as we walk out of here, the examples of Joseph and Mary? And, 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 and here, here is what I would say. I believe God would have us imitate them, but not venerate them. You see, people venerate Mary. They idolize her. They put up statues for her. They might even pray to her. They will say things like, Mary was a perpetual virgin. She, she never had relations. She divinely conceived all of her children, to which I would say, that had to stink for Joseph, did it not? Okay, not a popular gig as a husband, just saying. Well, it's not true. Because, what does it say in this passage? Before they came together, meaning what? There was a time they were married as husband and wife. He knew her not until Christ was born. And we know from the Gospels that there were brothers and sisters of Jesus. They thought he was crazy. But two of them became leaders in the church, James and Jude. No, 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 no. When we venerate Mary, we take glory from Christ. However, we do want to imitate her faith, and we want to imitate the faith of Joseph. Okay, look back at the text. Luke one thirty eight first. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Matthew one twenty four. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife. Because the only just response this morning for you and for me to God's supernatural, divine, sovereign work is the response of faith. Is taking hold of the promises of God, trusting in Him, being obedient to Him, following Him. I don't know what that looks like for you during this season. I do know that the Christmas season are trying times of faith where many of you are walking through untold complexities with your family. Untold heartache. Things where, where for the rest of the year you can push them aside, but during this season a ginormous magnifying glass is put right on them and you cannot escape from them. I don't know what those things are for you, but I do know here's what God honors. Here I am, Lord. Let it be according to your word. 
Here I am, Lord. Let me just be faithful. Here I am, Lord. What's the next right thing to do? Here I am, Lord. What's the next thing you are calling me to be obedient to? Where do you need to pray for a heart of faith this season for Oaks? Where do you need God to help you recapture the wonder of his love?